When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hensdorf Studios in Dublin, welcome to Mother Folklore, the podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, words for all. I'm Dara Crochet. I'm Geraldine McAvoy. And we're delighted today to be joined by a very special guest. The, um, he is one of you all as the senior film critic of the Irish Times. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> he is, of course, Donald Clark. Faltig and Mother Folklore, Donald. Hi, Donald. Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, uh, you are, you've written wonderfully and very interestingly about, about film for, for years, and uh, as well, you've You've also, in, in, your, in your column, written about a range of other topics, one of which is something that's been very interested, that's very interesting to us as a, as a podcast about language, which is the idea of how the, the concept of good crack, great crack, having the crack, and how this is represented in the written word. Yeah, well, I was pretty <laughs> disappointed a little bit in that um, you probably expect me to sort of stampede in here and start <laughs> shouting about how much I hate the damn thing. And <laughs> when I say the damn thing, I mean C-R-A-I-C. Mm-hmm. We're going to have trouble having this conversation saying what we mean, aren't we? Kind of making yeah. this distinction. Anyway, but uh, uh, in the... Uh, we will, we'll refer to them as C-K and I-C. I'll have a go at trying to keep okay. it up. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, and it's better to say that I think that the that, that crack... C- C-R-A-I-C yeah. should be banished from all English usage, which I don't think um, because I obviously I do accept the fact that usage is kind of king in these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have got to the stage now where um, the Irish spelling, if we can call it that, is now far more commonly used in English usage than yeah. C-R-A-C-K. So I would grudgingly admit that um, that is the usage that's, that's going to that is here now and is probably going to stick. Um, there isn't in the Irish Times actually an entry in the style book, probably because the style book was, you know, uh, was last written when this wasn't uh, the final, last version of the style book wasn't completed when this was already a live issue. Um, but I know that this sprung up recently. For example, I think uh, I think it was um, Roisin. It was Roisin Ingle actually. Um, we had a conversation with an editor and they said, well, actually, the general usage in the Irish Times is C-R-A-C-K. Mm. And she sort of said, wow, is this possible? Isn't it? <laughs> and this whole conversation started up again. But to get around to the point I was, well, I was getting up there slowly is that obviously I accept the fact that that is now the usage, most common usage, um, and therefore I can't reasonably object to anyone um, writing it thus, um, either formally um, or in social media or whatever. What does bug me, (laughs) (laughs) and this really does bug me, is the 
perception that's got around that uh, CRAIC is correct in inverted commas, mm-hmm. that it is the original correct and uncorrupted version of that word, and that anybody who uh, insists upon or even just writes or occasionally uses C-R-A-C-K is a big fat West Brit and is, ang- <laughs> and is, ang- and is anglicizing um, and appropriating a good old traditional Irish word. Mm. And the point, which we're going to dance around this that mm. um, uh, um, uh, the rest of the conversation, that I have to stress people, is that the usage CREIC in English, and I make this point forcefully, in English, was almost unheard of until as late as the late 1980s, early 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, uh, I take as my, as my as my Rosetta Stone here, the mm-hmm. uh, um, Christy Moore's The Crack Was 90 in the Isle of Man, which, whenever it appears in an album, was CRACK, right up until the 1980s, and nobody blinked an eye, nobody suggested it should be anything else. Um, uh, And where I first noticed it, well, I would say, I was probably aware of it as that spelling through. Sean Van Branagh, um, SBB, mm. and he used yeah. to, but with important point being, he was using it in Irish. Yeah. I mean, he would have used the Irish version of helicopter or, you know, whatever yeah. whatever the word might be <clears throat> when speaking in Irish as well. But he, that became kind of a catchphrase of his. I don't actually remember it appearing promiscuously um, in English until I would say, obviously, well, you can find examples of it, I'm sure, in the 70s, 80s, even 60s, but promiscuously and as the most commonly used form until as late as 1990 and the um, uh, the World Cup of that year. Yeah. Um, when I was in living in London at the time, and it's just, that's where I first saw it, that you'd suddenly, yeah. it was suddenly appearing in black on blackboards outside pubs, yeah. um, trying to lure you in to watch whatever the, the match was that day with promise of crack or kill. Well, let's kill, I suppose, given the World Cup was on. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> promising you <laughs> with a crack. And I, it, it got to this extent, the weird extent where which there was a pub in King's Cross which was then called and is now called again the Charles I on North Down Street um, where we used to drink quite a bit. And it was sort of a kind of Irish pub. But um, uh, uh, they had a competition to rename the pub oh. at one stage and it ended up being called for a while the crack house c-r-a-i-c-h <laughs> which was in fact apartment yeah. fantastically poor taste yeah because king's cross at that stage was um less so now it's been more gentrified was you know a lot of people using you know crack cocaine in that area so yeah. given that was the reference it was rather poor taste uh, a lot of sex workers around there and mm. you know, drug issues with with the sex workers and anyway, that's a whole different issue but that was um but what that recognized and i think by this stage we're getting to about 94 95 with that was that it was wound up with um the whole uh, uh the rise in the kind of bottled irish pub yeah. It suddenly mm-hmm. came out of nowhere in London that stage. To that point, the Irish pub was, they're generally quite disreputable, not terribly nice places. I rather liked them, but, but, yeah. but they were kind of, you know, they were sticky carpet and um, yeah. uh, and a uh, uh, demographic of the drinkers tended to be, you know, an average of four, in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. The, and even that period, suddenly that kind of, you know, fake news, you know, fake road signs started popping up and yeah. copper kettles. And yeah, this, uh, is, this is before the the, faint, the Irish pub in Withnow and I, which was, was the pub Yes, that's a very good example. Exactly, that's a perfect example, yes. Yeah, the, 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 the pub there where they meet Dara, Dara, O'Malley, is that anyway, yeah. they meet the, the Irish Irishman that he threatens. And that's exactly what they were like. But it was all, it, it, the rise of that word seemed to be part of that movement. And mm-hmm. to finish off the, this lengthy point I'm making, <laughs> why I keep writing about this is, the point, is this, is there seems to be a, 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 a lot of people, and it's a generational thing, seem to be 
completely baffled to learn this fact that in fact this that as a as the commonly used English version in English, it's a phenomenon that is far more recent than people imagine. Many people imagine. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But there's a there's a wonderful account on Twitter, Norn Ireland Girl eighty one, in which a um, a woman called uh, Brona. If, I know Brona. Yes, Brona, mm-hmm. from Newry. Yeah, Brona from Newry. She basically tweets entries from her diary from when she's twelve or thirteen years old, which mm-hmm. is around the time of the hunger strikes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a phenomenal, um, it's a phenomenal piece of social history to actually intersect her obsession yes, with the great. charts while while mentioning these things that were going on. And when she, one day she mentions yes that they uh, herself and her friends had good crack. And she spells it with a CK. Yeah. Well, you, you, you would. Well, my, well, I would say as well in terms of the, uh, I mean, we'll get into this, I suppose. You, I'm sure you know much more about this than I do. But the common theory is that it's a it's, it's a Northern English, Scottish word um, that kind of made its way mm-hmm. via Northern territories. into. My, I mean, I, I, one thing we haven't actually mentioned yet is that the, the use of the word itself, mm-hmm. however you spell it, Accelerated at the period I'm talking yeah. about as well. Yeah. It was a common enough word in Brona, as you said. My mum would have used it. My mum's a, a, a Ulster Protestant from Armagh, mm-hmm. and she would certainly have used. It. Now she wouldn't have said the crack. Yeah, um, she would have said somebody was great crack. She would have said we had great crack. Mm-hmm. She would certainly have used that. Obviously, she would never have even known there was an Irish language spelling at that yeah. stage. But I uh, know uh, Brona is, I think, a good demonstration of that. Yes, it was. It, that's how the word was written and. And there was, there was, at that stage, there would have been an Irish language version of it when writing in Irish, which SPP yeah. would have used. But um, yes, that, that's how I remember it. But I wonder, is it, so the debate is is whether it's C-R-A-C-K or C-R-A-C-E. But I wonder is, and which is the correct version within inverted commas, but I wonder is the better question as the, the usage of it, if you're using, as I would typically use C-R-A-I-C when I'm, even, I mean, mostly I would say it rather than, but if I was to think about how that's spelled, it would be the AIC version. But is that an example of code switching rather than actually which I'm, which is the correct version? So in my head, I'm using a word that I know exists in Irish and I'm using it for a very specific purpose. So there's a bunch of research behind code switching and it's very often done for a purpose. So you, you select that word for a reason. Um, and I sometimes it can be political. You see Donald Trump doing it a lot when he will code switch within inverted commas he'll use a Spanish word for a very deliberate reason and he sure. sort of does a mocking uh, mm-hmm. accent along with that and that that portrays something very um, obvious but when I use it I mean a very specific thing you mean a very specific type of fun that I would associate usually with Ireland and to me that is more akin to code switching rather than I'm using a specific word that is spelled this way and this is the only way to spell it and, and sorry for people who don't understand uh, code switching is like it's where you t- take specific words out of a different language and you use them in the common uh, so I say I'm speaking English and I will switch to um, switch put in a an Irish word and then continue speaking uh, English usually I wouldn't code switch with somebody say uh, who didn't speak Irish or didn't have an understanding of Irish. Usually, you code switch with somebody who understands some of the language that you're code yeah. switching into. Um, so for me, that's where the distinction is. So when I'm using CRAIC, it's a code switch thing. It's not a this is the only way to spell yeah. it. Like I don't care when people spell CRAICK. But uh, when I use it that way, it's because I'm using the word for Irish. Same way, yeah. If, if I were, was referred to someone in, in English, oh, he's a bit of a bulkle donna. Like the, yeah. the fact bold boy would not be, uh, would not sound in English, would, be, would sound preposterous. Yeah, in yeah. That, yeah, in those cases. So, but the, and that's the thing, maybe actually there is crack, C-R-A-C-K, and the Irish word kind of almost coexisted as separate entries, which are just eventually overlapped. And this is why I bring in what I would refer to as the Mumbai defense. Right. Which is the idea that maybe um, yeah, C or A C K uh, C or A C K spelling, and I, I've done some when I went back into 
when I initially went into Irish newspaper archives, when I, when, which is because there's no treasury of Hiberno-English, which has been a huge loss to academia mm. in Ireland, Irish newspaper archives is probably the closest thing to that. The word crack, obviously, because it has so many uses, you can't just search it on its own. Yeah, yeah. And when I search the word C-R-A-I-C-K, C-R-A-I-C-K or C-R-A-I-C, it's, you get, because the old fonts in the newspapers from the 19th century, you get the name Craig too much. Right. Oh, so right. what I did, I looked up good crack and Craig uh. crack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what I found then was the entries in the 1890s almost always came from, for good crack, almost always came from court reports. Okay. Right. In which case, and they were court reports typically from the northwest of Ireland. So someone in Sligo, there would be a court report where, you know, uh, where Sean and, Sean and Mike, you know, they're having they're having great crack and then Sean hit Mike with a bottle. Oh, <laughs> right, okay. right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, there was an argument over the, the, the sale price of a horse and yeah. they, it was all good crack until someone gave someone a dig. And <laughs> and, the, and these were typically reported by a, a journalist, you know, a, a literate journalist reporting from an, an area of mix, a mixed language area, mm-hmm. yeah. putting these things in as, as court reporters are wanted to do, putting these things in inverted commas, yes, like comic yes, effect. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Tradition that lives on to this very day. Well, it, yes, well, yes, Judge. Um, yes, this is a colloquial term used to describe having a good time, <laughs> often in the accompaniment of alcohol. To yeah. the company of alcohol, yeah. Mm. Uh, well, it's. I, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. That 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 sounds like it. Like, like it makes sense. I mean, I think it's also what's happened um, in. England and well outside Ireland is it's a way of demonstrating how much you know about Ireland. Yes, and there's a great kind of one of the this um, uh, as someone once pointed out, there's no better way of attracting attention to yourself on Twitter of getting replies than making an error. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, you're far more likely to people correct you than yell at you if you say something that they think is you know politically wrong at, um, or immoral. Um, and there's a whole industry I think, of people out there who say, "Oh, well, you know, you see, you find you're wrong in spelling a C R A C K." Actually, in Ireland, of course, I spell a C R A C K, and I happen to know this because um, I met an Irish person once. But uh, there's, a, there's a great deal of that that goes on, I think, mm-hmm. as well. Um, I mean, th- I mean, I noticed. That, I mean, I can remember I, there is now, I would say, occasionally some mischief. This about this. I did an interview with um, the guys from the Young Offenders oh, um, a yeah. few years ago, and the word crept up in the conversation. And um, uh, uh, being a belligerent person over a certain age, as we've, uh, as we've established, it's to a certain extent a generational thing. I spelled it C R A C K in the copy, and uh, my editor left it thus. Um, he shall remain <laughs> nameless <laughs> against death threats. But I noticed he did one of the pull quotes, which you know, which is the quote you. Put yeah. in yeah. larger letters in the middle of these. He used, he kept the word, he put it with the word crack in it. And I think that was a mischievous attempt. To <laughs> it. And sure enough, you get, you get all these sort of tweets from people with gifts of people like, you know, sighing or like putting, or <laughs> gifts of people putting their head in their hands, you know, mm-hmm. saying, oh, it's spelt C R A I C C, not C R I C K. How could you not know this? This but, sort was, of thing. Did somebody include a gif of Michael Jackson eating popcorn? No, no, that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's, that, you're right to bring that up. That, Yes, the, the, the gifts that, that make you bang your head against the wall that you've seen. So that's certainly up, up there with them. Uh, and Stephen Colbert doing the same thing. Yes. But, but uh, no, I don't, I, I can't remember which head in the hands ones they, they are, but there's two or three of, of like, you know, oh God, like, you know, not this again sort of um, mm-hmm. gifts, um, which um, pops up with that. So I think a lot of people really quite, I mean, we're to a certain extent doing it now. We're kind mm-hmm. of having fun, kind of, you know, teasing out our own opinions about this. But it is one of those things people love to know about in inverted commas mm-hmm. and get a chance to correct people on in, uh, in social media, but I mean, I, I'm interested. I mean, it's I, the thing that we've that we've touched on, but haven't gone into depth yet. Is is 
as I said, the, the, the very fact that the word itself became emblematic of something and was used so much more in public discourse and in print from a point about 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it became, uh, uh, it, it became a way of, it became emblematic of a new version of Irishness, I yeah. think. Then. Mm. Which, I mean, I think, I don't think enough's been written about that really interesting period between 1989 and 95-6, um, when, as I mentioned earlier on, it was demonstrated through pubs. But it's like, I mean, you could trace it from my left foot through the commitments, mm. I, through Italian 90, um, Riverdance, whatever we think yeah. about Riverdance, was to what kind of thing to happen at that point. And that whole stretch when Ireland suddenly became much more um, uh, uh, visible on the, on the cultural stage. I connect it. I actually would, when I look at that period, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm old enough to remember this, uh, garaging isn't, <laughs> but I think it starts at Live Aid. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it starts with Live Aid with the give us your fucking money with yeah, Bono. Yeah, yeah suddenly that's, the, that's a fair point, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there was a point when um, when in some ways that Irishness suddenly was, was marketed for, as a kind of a historically innocent version of whiteness. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is this kind of large, and this kind of, that was very much, that was a huge part of Live Aid, which uh, I, I always think uh, Jerry Paxson described Live Aid as the first draft of New Labour. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've never been able to forget that quote. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It means everything and it means nothing. This one of these wonderfully kind of opaque kind of. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, it's, yes, a pl platitudes on a, on a global scale. But ultimately, um, ultimately con consumer driven uh, mm -hmm. uh, reform. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think that, that, no, that does make sense, and certainly Bob, that that version of Bob Geldof represents very much the sort of Irishness that became in vogue during yeah. the period I'm talking about, which doesn't really have a name that period because we're talking yeah. a pre-Celtic Tiger or the beginnings yeah. of Celtic Tiger. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was up, that then blended into the economic revolution, um, which obviously had its upsides and its downsides, that, um, which we all know that that came afterwards. But yeah, you're quite right. That version of Bob Geldof, you know. Um, uh, uh, um, cutting through the crap, you know. Yeah. That's, so those th those sort of kind of the, the cliches. It was, and uh, I, do, I do think the fact that Bono chose not to move to London or LA and actually stayed in in Ireland was was a huge part of the turning yeah. point. That suddenly rich, rich, successful Irish people were staying in Ireland, and yeah. then Ryanair <laughs> becoming following that. That this was the the idea that and a big part of the Celtic Tiger was that rich people weren't leaving Ireland anymore. Yeah, and this was and that led to. Those other economic cons concerns, but then the then the idea of of, of Ireland being a great uh, fun venue, not just the there was a, a shift in the approach of tourism, and the, around Italia ninety there was a shift in the perception of Irish people. Yeah, I have issues with the the great the best fans in the world thing, <laughs> uh, particularly because I think it the fact this ex this expression happened just around the time of Hillsborough, right, and, mm -hmm. which was a year before nineteen nineteen. And you say if I say you know like uh, oh that like um. Someone like every parent knows. You tell one child they're the best person in the world. You're making a comment about the other child. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It was mm. it was clear, very directly used. The best fans in the world thing was very much a comment on British fans. Yeah, yeah. That was that was disguised as a compliment. That wasn't really a compliment yeah. at all to Irish fans. Well, I never thought of that before. But that's actually so because I I mean I was born in nineteen ninety, so that's probably <laughs> mm. why. But like that's that's really true that that. You know, if you're saying that oh Irish fans are the best fans in the world, and you see that now even uh, when we kind of 
I think it's marketed quite well when we go to things that we don't perform very well at, like the Euros or mm-hmm. the Rugby World Cup we'll see. <laughs> um, you know, and there's other f- groups of fans who are behaving very well, but we just kind of market it quite well. That, oh, we're the best fans in the world. They cleaned up the stadium. Like, so did other people, you know, or they're singing mm-hmm. on a train bothering a nun, you know. Um, yeah. uh, it's presented in such a, a, a way that, you know, other fans aren't great. And that might be true, but particularly when it's presented in that way of Hillsborough, like there's something that doesn't sit quite well with that. Well, mm. we, well, I mean, we are very convinced of the fact that everyone loves us. Yes. Um, and, uh, and to, you know, and to be to be fair, I mean, that came after a very difficult time to, w- w- a period when it was very difficult to be Irish, particularly. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, you London, been, I mean, like, you know, mm. I mean, you, I'm, I, I, we're talking about a period when the peace process began to sure. set in, as you know, which um, another another version of another version of Hillsborough became significant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but that came after the period when being Irish in London, being Irish in England, um, was associated. You were constantly in a position where you had to apologise for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. people being blown blown up in Enniskillen or being blown up in. Um, uh, the and um, city of London or wherever it might be. Um, so it was understandable that there was kind of a, uh, a slightly unhealthy and over enthusiastic embrace of the fact that oh geez everyone loves us we're great and everyone loves <laughs> us um, yeah. at that, in that period. I, I, I can I can really see that. I mean, you were living in London in the in the early nineties, I imagine, and it's it's something that I, I, yes, I when, when something positive about Ireland comes along, it's a uh, it would be hard not to embrace it. Well, yeah, th- that's true. I mean, it was. I don't mean. I mean, this is a big, big topic. But you know, mm-hmm. there was. Um, you did encounter a lot of the class was an issue in this as yeah, well. Sure. You know, I mean, there was always perception that you know that I was a sort of, I don't know, you put it sort of, you know, well spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, middle class version Irish sort of fellow. Yeah. Um, and we were sort of exempt from that to, cert- to the taxi driver ramps to a certain extent. Um, you're, fact- you're on the Dave Allen level. You're fine. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that puts it quite well. Yes, well, exactly. Well, that's, that's a, I mean, again, we're talking about the Irish in, in England, that's a, you, you raise an interesting point with the likes of Dave Allen. There was that long tradition of the urbane um, uh, Irishman on a stool on a mm-hmm. light entertainment show, which Terry mm-hmm. Wogan was part, and no harm to Terry right. Wogan, he was kind of a genius, but um, mm-hmm. uh, Val Dunican be another example, you yeah. know, that Henry Kelly, not quite on the same level, but yeah, there was that tradition of kind of the uh, urbane Irishman mm-hmm. in a cardigan and um, on a stool at um, yeah. with perhaps one or two glasses of something beside him, but no, no more than that, <laughs> <laughs> um, who was also exempt from mm-hmm. You know the the uh, largely exempt from uh, uh, the racist kickback against um, uh, uh, the violence at that time. And and he was particularly interesting because he focused so much on his his routine was I'm slagging her on, but it's okay because I'm Irish. Mm. And he didn't get involved in some of the other stuff that seventies comedians did. His comic legacy probably lasted longer when a lot of those seventies comedians were being rejected wholesale in the eighties. Oh, he was. Well, it's very interesting, Dave Allen, because if you go back and look at that stuff, is that there's there was two Dave Allens. There was there was the raconteur, mm-hmm. and there was the, the sketches, and the sketches are kind of awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And there's one or two that are, that are kind of hung around sexual violence that are mm-hmm. startling. Yeah. Um, and when you look back now, I and mean, you've got some some of that in Benny Hill as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I think I suppose he maybe was kind of like you know pushed into that because the notion of a show and well, he wasn't pushed into the 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 actual material itself and yeah. the content, but he was pushed into doing the sketches because the notion of 
um, a guy sitting on a chair for 40 minutes just doing a monologue didn't sound like a light entertainment still, still, still doesn't frankly <laughs> uh, sound like a light entertainment show he'd have been a massive star on the podcast era if he had been born a few yeah, decades later that's right yeah no he would he had the well, well there was I mean I th- that, because that, I'm, I'm reminded you know, the, way, the way the young ones had to stick in those musical interludes because just the, the BBC formatting was this is a variety show yeah, technically it's sure. a sketch and same way I think that I'm sure if Dave Allen had his way there wouldn't have been any sketches at all I, I suspect not. No. Mm-hmm. Well, but you, you talk about that that, that generation and and the, the podcast rocket. But that was the era of the long form chat show interview, mm-hmm. um, uh, and there were a whole bunch of those people who uh, could just sit there and do forty fifty minutes on Parkinson, mm-hmm. David Niven, um, Peter Ustinov. You know all those guys. I mean, like they were wheeled out, and and you know, then you <laughs> you had the more, more volatile versions like Oliver Reed. But mm-hmm. but uh, but those guys, they could. They, I mean, they could do. You know, they could do ninety minutes of just yeah. chat. That um, as you say, that they could do a whole series of podcasts just of their absolutely anecdotes. Just, like I know, and Richard Harris is a great guest as well. But whenever someone was talking too much, uh, was telling too many stories when we were young, my dad was always saying, oh, "Your man thinks he's Peter Euston Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he, <laughs> he was just the anecdote man. <laughs> well, there's um, there's an episode of um, I think it's the television version of Knowing Me, Knowing You, mm-hmm. um, when they have this pretentious. Well, it's one of those interesting incidents actually when you're kind of on Alan's side, mm-hmm. but they have this appalling pretentious French chef on. Mm-hmm. Um, at, uh, and at one point he asked Alan who his favourite philosopher is. And sort of pause and goes, Peter Euston not? <laughs> <laughs> so he was at the Middlebrow's, Middlebrow's favourite philosopher at that mm-hmm. point. There was another one, I was looking up other entries for a good crack and great crack. I came across an entry from the Sunday Independent in the 1910s, and in which a writer from the North is re- reviewing a book. It was about country life, and it said, this book really proves what I've been trying to say for all is that, you know, you need to get out of the city to have a good conversation, or as we call it, where I come from up North, a good crack. Right. Mm-hmm. Crack. A good crack, so it's, he uses mm. the uh, s- uh, nondescript article. Yeah, like, a noun. Yeah, but the idea yeah. that a crack is a kind of a noun yeah. as opposed to crack being this abstract ah, yeah. form. But then you describe it with the definitive article. You talk about the crack, but and you is, wouldn't say I had a crack. It's just crack in general. Well, we, we've, interesting. We've got away from the fact that, that, that actually, that, that, I don't know if the words are related, they most certainly are, but you, you, you would still use a crack as a, as a joke. As a synonym for a joke. Ah, I took a crack at him. Yeah, mm. right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I think that. I would say that's a kind of a slightly. Um, it, it's. It's. It, it definitely exists. And someone's. Oh, he had. A, he had a great crack. You know that Frank Carson had a couple of good cracks yeah, there. Yeah. And uh, I think that though that has that has that that usage kind of slid a little bit. But I think yeah. the idea. But in this case, what they're saying is, uh, in the in the 1910s version, that a g- good crack was was a really really good conversation when no one's mm. in a hurry. Right, right, okay, right. Okay, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. sure. And this is the thing that that crack kind of stopped being this name, but then the crack has has come back as a kind of a as you have going out for a night and having lots of fun. That 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 as, that that is a recent use. It's almost well, like yeah, the name dropped and it came back. Yes, well, that um, uh, that notion of the crack as mm-hmm. uh, again, it's one of those things that that um, we've gotten the impression that everyone has been forever has been saying mm-hmm. like, do you do you like the crack? Are you having, <laughs> are you having the mm-hmm. crack? Yeah. Um, uh, which uh, and it's sort of, I mean, there's a certain extent to which this, this, which there's a kind of self-imposed stage Irishness about this. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of we, you know, we've we've got the stage now where some of this language um, is paddy wacky that we invented for ourselves when we've got used in the past to Americans doing this on our behalf. Yeah, but now we're doing some of this stuff ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a funny thing, and I think, I think in some ways it's, I think the the kind of the. 
the self-driven paddywhacker is possibly it's corrective because when Americans were talking, when we met Americans in the eighties, they they talk of stuff about purple moons and just yeah. clovers, and I was like, what the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and then it turned out there was, there was an ad on television that had something to do with purple moons and an Irish. I think it may have an ad for Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms, right? Yeah, which we don't have get. Oh, here. that's right. The, of course, the they have the purple yeah. moons in them, don't mm-hmm. they? Yes, yeah. they do. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have they had some other things and corned beef was a big thing that they are corned beef and yeah, cabbage. Yes. Yeah, I had that on St Patrick's Day in America when I was there, and I was like, "What is this? It's gross." <laughs> no, but like, I, yeah, I can remember being when I went, went, uh, went when I lived in New York for a year and I was working in a, in a bar, and people just sort of said like, "Oh, <laughs> they were being nice. They were yeah. they were saying like, so you must eat, eat plenty of corned beef and cabbage." What? What? Why? Yeah. I mean, I, can, I mean, as far as we were concerned, then as now, corned beef was something that came in cans. Yeah, you, it's the you know, when you slice meat, your dad eats. Like. Yeah, when, when there was nothing left in the yeah. cupboard when you were a student. No gob or stuck with that kind of corned sure. beef you bought in Quinsworth you know, two months ago. That, you know, and this notion that it was a delicacy. But yeah. I, I, I'm interested. What I'm very interested in that notion of the Irish American caricature of Irishness, and it's you know, always important not to be too you know. Savage yeah. and nasty about this, you know. These are, you know, uh, um, these are well-meaning people, and they're, you know, that um, they're they're making a genuine attempt to celebrate their culture. But what I'm always interested, and I've talked to Americans about this, mm-hmm. is there an equivalent of this outside Irish American communities yeah. in the United States? And I don't actually think there is. The closest, I don't know, if you'd agree. I think the closest community to the Irish in America uh, is probably the Italians in America mm-hmm. yes. in sure. that they're Catholics and that they, they're the the wave of immigration came at much the same sort of period they tend to go to the same places you know they yeah. live next door to yeah. one another in New York City and Chicago and places like that and I talked to, to Italian Americans about this um, years and years, years ago just in the pub well, not for a story or anything in there and they're thinking well you know not really I mean there, there are things that annoy um, uh uh, sorry, I should explain. The person I was talking to was an actual Italian who sure, moved to sure, America, yeah. um, and uh, she was saying, "Well, not not really to that extent. Not 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 the notion of kind of you know lucky charms and leprechauns and you know this weird thing with Notre Dame, say it correctly, football team with the actual <laughs> whole legion of leprechauns, yeah. you know, yeah. who are represented um, rep- rep- represent the, the the football team, and so like things like kind of you know that annoy us like you know spaghetti and meatballs. What the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> and that's sort of presented to us as you know." Jen you an Italian dish and like you know um, but there's, there, there's not this notion of this invented Italian American Italian American the way there is with this invented yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Irish American with all those sentimental attachments to it it's, it is an interesting because I think there is a perception that certain Italian American dishes and this is, this is true of most um, American immigrant cuisines and that there's a version of an, a national dish which say chop suey is, was invented yes. in America yeah, was invented yeah. in America as, mm-hmm. a, as a Chinese food that was available to be sold to non-Chinese sure. people Corned beef and cabbage is almost certainly a version of an Irish stew when lamb wasn't available. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And then similarly, there's the California roll in sushi, in, in sushi was obviously invented. Burritos as well, they were invented yeah. in San Francisco, I think. Yeah, this is the Mexican roll. Um, and so, yeah, and I, th- I think I think pad thai as well, it was invented in the 1950s as well, but, right, but right. in Thailand, um, after a guy, after I think one of the, one of the um, Thai royal family had seen how well Chinese yeah. cuisine yeah, was yeah, doing in America. Yeah. And so a, a lot of, there, I suppose... There's a lot of, uh, and you know yourself, remember when, when pulled pork suddenly arrived and people acted like it had <laughs> yeah, always been there. Yeah, it hasn't gone away yet. It's, it's, it's still after 10 or 15 years since that yeah. popped up. Well, there is also the slightly tricky issue, and we probably need um, a culinary expert on mm-hmm. here to, to yeah. finish this. Irish cuisine is not quite as sophisticated and advanced as Italian cuisine is no. in the home country. 
Um, yes. They yeah. had in Italy more to bring with them. <laughs> Shall we put it yeah, that way? They certainly did. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I don't wish to be unkind to um, <laughs> Box D um, or Colcannon or Champ or something else, else that doesn't involve a potato. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but with the best will in the world um, and we have excellent yeah. food here and all those things. We do not have the variety of um, cuisine. Indi- indigenous cuisine that the no. Italians. I or, don't know. We had a, I, what? What was his name? Mar- Marcin was, was in. Marcin was, was in. Yeah. yeah, was was in talking to us and he was a fascinating guest and he would definitely disagree with you. But I think that well, he probably I, knows. I, 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 don't agree. Know I, I don't know what I'm talking about. He probably he certainly does. Yeah, he seemed to think that he did. I mean, he, he played a, a good. We do have wonderful food here, but we don't have that culture of food. I think it was the argument he was making yeah. that we definitely don't have. And uh, that yeah. comes from a difficult relationship with food, largely. I'd say, um, yeah, the best Irish, the best Irish food is basically very good Irish ingredients yeah. with with as little interference as possible. Mm, from yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it, uh, largely, I mean, globally, we're not known for our food. That's not what we're known for. We're known for cracking Guinness. Like yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. we're known the, for. The, like, the crack of Guinness. Crack. Right. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's a really clever marketing. Like, like you were saying, in that period leading up to Italia ninety, we were a really like it wasn't necessarily you wouldn't be advertising the fact that you were Irish in certain places. Sure. You know, and then to switch that in such a way that it's become such a marketable, profitable thing, in a sense, while there is negative connotations with it, it's taken too far and it gets to the point of caricature, yeah. like we were saying in, in the United States, um, to the point where it can be a little bit annoying. Um, it's still to be able to turn it around in such a quick time. People talk about the ability that Germany has had to turn around their public image from being at the the receiving end of probably one of the worst atrocities to happen in Europe in modern times. Um, and then to turn this this image around to be a, a very sort of trustworthy uh, world leisure in such a short time is amazing. But I think also in Ireland, the way that we've turned around from being dangerous people yeah. to being great crack and everyone loves us and mm-hmm. whether or not that's true is immaterial I think for the the marketing ability that it's, it's had so in a sense I think there's something sort of admirable about that ability that we've had to sort of switch from being a very negative thing to yeah. being a very positive thing whether or not it's true is immaterial yeah yeah well I mean every, everyone does a bit of that every every mm-hmm. nation does a bit of that I mean if they're I mean Germany was a different example of course because in that case they weren't flogging themselves uh, as a tourist destination. Sure, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a cultural thing to a large extent. And in our case, I mean, in their case, it, you know, it's a massive country in European t- terms and also they have enormous natural resources mm-hmm. and all yeah. those things. So, I mean, the, the, the German economic miracle in the 1950s was an economic miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, we had the Celtic Tiger hit here eventually for all its um, demerits. But... Uh, as we've already discussed, it was as much a cultural reinvention sure, as yeah. anything in this country. Yeah, uh, and I do think, I mean, it's very easy to poo-poo the kind of uh, the Celtic Tiger and the various excesses and certain and, and certain kind of uh, certain gold calves that were raised. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was actually a, a, a time for, of, um, uh, of, of, of one of probably our greatest period of pop chart dominance. It that's was, right. Yes, <laughs> and that, that's, yeah. I, I mean, there's these strange things happened. I mean, the, Louis Walsh kind of you know that yeah. um, uh, has suddenly became like the, the most successful <laughs> music impresario in Britain, Ireland, possibly Europe. And and, um, he, and he had cut his teeth in, in in backroom roles in the Eurovision for years. Yeah. And then yeah. I think in some ways because there have been obviously you, we'd had Tin Lizzy and we'd had you too, but no one had ever incorporated little bits of Irish flutes and stuff until mm. Westlife bewitched in the chorus. Yeah. And yeah. and. The, 
this is, and I think the boy bands were very were a very new perception of the Irish male being sure. pre- being being presented to British audiences. The idea that this yes, there's there's an Irish man on your on your twelve year old daughter's wall in your house, so you scared. <laughs> and this yes, this yes, they were sensitive as well. The yeah. way that uh, the way that you know that you didn't get from you know Luke Kelly. Oh look, and he was sensitive. And that's yeah. I'm, 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 mm. I'm being unfair, but in a very different way <laughs> to, to these guys in their kind of silk shirts blowing in the wind and yeah. the pop video. They like something on stools too, like Dave Allen. They did. They, they did. They did, yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Then stood up for them dramatically whenever yeah. you got to the middle age. Key change, you get right up <laughs> That's there. That's right. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think we're talking about, one thing I do think people kind of are, you know, uneasy about acknowledging is that we should mention as, as a lot of this conversation has ended up being about those changes um, at the end of the last century, the beginning of this century, uh, is that you had that period. I mean, I think a, a, one defining period, I think, in terms of uh, the shift away from the church and towards a more liberal um, society was that n- I, 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 I don't mind there's written a play about this, but that nail-biting 1995 divorce referendum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was the, I mean, you know, that was the point at which as you recall, I mean, it was. I, I don't think the lead was ever as big as the lead was in the two recent um, referenda on yeah. marriage equality and, and, and uh, abortion. But it was a significant lead, and it went yeah. down and down and down and down. And it was won by kind of you know, I, I think you know, a better percent. Yeah, the, the equivalent 100%. of one one vote per ballot box. Yeah, and you sort of feel like, well, I mean, I, you know, I mean, this is making over dramatic. You know, <laughs> the whole country have reversed back to kind of you know that um, priest-driven um, conservatism. At <laughs> that point, it wouldn't, of course, but not. There was a feeling there that, phew, we've just crossed kind of a yeah. Rubicon. And what I'm getting to slowly of this is that I think when people look back and they, and they say, what the hell happened that in the space of, you know, 20 years, well, in the space of 10 years, a little more than 10 years from the uh, yeah. 1993, 1983 um, abortion referendum, um, that the, the we got that 12 years later, and then in the space of 10, another 10 or 15 years, you had this extraordinary change where um, became the first country to vote in uh, same-sex marriage by a plebiscite um, and all the liberal things that happened since and the declining power of the church. And we both talk about how the hell that happened and how it happened so quickly mm-hmm. is uh, people talking, in, in, I think a very, I think it's a very good point to make about the uh, introduction of free secondary education in the late 1960s that you had a delayed response to that, mm-hmm. suddenly a lot of adults. But I think that was a little too early really to to account for that yeah. happening then. It was a contributing factor. The thing which is difficult, which is a tricky issue for kind of like liberals this is that a large part of the fact was money arrived. Yeah. The, sure, and, that, and, the, and that ironically had a liberalizing effect. And one of the reasons the liberalizing effect was a lot of people didn't emigrate would have emigrated and a lot of people came back yeah. I mean, I, I sort of did that, but I think that was sort of a, an accident. I, I came mm-hmm. back in 1995, which would say, look, I'm a classic example of somebody you yeah. know, who went away for 10 years and came back when the economy improved. That actually wasn't really true. I just sort of, I always kind of planned to come back at that point anyway. But, but that but, is, the, 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 I think the return... But those things, young, educated people were suddenly about the place in larger numbers than they'd be. I mean, I can remember, uh, I would have graduated university in 1986 um, and looking at a friend of mine who um, uh, was an architect and he had a picture of his class mm-hmm. from that year in UCD and every single one emigrated bar one person yeah, uh, and no one thought a thing about it um, and that that's, and there was a whole range and and the it was the econ- and it was largely the economic surge uh, in those years that kept a lot of those people there and contributed greatly to um, 
the liberalization I think most of us listening to this podcast will enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will enjoy it or appreciate it. Mm. I think it's a really important point. And something interesting about the the, the divorce referendum and its passing by percentage is um, historians in the future will make a connection between the divorce referendum and the tribunals, particularly the amount of of, of hidden money that was disclosed in mm. divorce in divorces immediately right. afterwards, yeah, and how yeah. that led to Anne's back investigations and so, so other things like that. Mm-hmm. So, it was also, yeah. I think that that divorce. And this is getting way off the subject. <laughs> here, but that was a great reference, a great example of um, a great. Warning not to pay to pay too much heed to um, Jeremiah's and people speaking of disaster because yeah. um, the whole thing was the country will fall apart, we'll end up with, and we end, we ended up with the lowest divorce rate in, yeah. in, yeah. in, the, in the Europe 20 years later. I do I, think a lot of that yeah. has to do with just how complicated divorce was. Like yeah. it's much easier not to do it. But like yeah. that, there was those mad, uh, I teach a class on it and they do those, they had this mad uh, billboards like Bye Bye Daddy, which I, I don't remember the referendum. So it's mad yeah. to me, where's your dad yep. going? Like, yeah. what? like well, I don't understand where he's going. Divorce, hello, divorce. Daddy. Yeah, yes, that's it. Yeah, that's that, I just don't it. understand where people thought he was going. Was you, I mean, if your dad was just going to leave and never come back after divorce, probably shit dad anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in your life. The uh, I but the, like I finished secondary school in 1996, right. and I don't think any of the lads in my class are divorced, which is uh, would be unheard of in I, a, a parallel class. In I'm much the same. In, in I, know, I mean, I've got you know, ten years on you, that, um, <laughs> uh, a bit more actually, but uh, and. I mean, you know, someone will text me now and say, what about mm. me? But I mean, of my long-standing friends, well, many of whom married 20, 30 years yeah. ago, I think they're all. And it was, but you know, this was this, this notion that the country's going to just go over the cliff. And we're, all, we're all going to turn to Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, yeah, it'll be like Bel Air. Like, you know, there'll be, there'll be, no one will mm. stay married longer than six months. But it's it's funny, though, because my, my boyfriend's a Finn and his grandmother is like, you know, an older person. She she's in her eighties, and she's divorced. And she was the ver- first old person. And this was like, I mean, we're together what, seven years now, so I, I like it's not that recent. And like, she was the first old person I'd met who was divorced. And for uh-huh. me, that was super weird. Mm-hmm. And like, sort of couldn't understand because it's much more. I think people maybe perhaps take marriage a little bit more seriously here than than in other countries. I'm not singling out Finland, but just because it's really hard to get out of it. Like, so yeah, you've yeah. got to be certain if you want to get married because it's just a pain to get out of. Even, I mean, now it's obviously becoming easier, but I wonder, will that change and in, in the, the levels of people getting married and then subsequently getting divorced? Well, I, 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 they've had a long, good whack at it now. Like, you, you had sort of 20, mm-hmm. more than 20 years. That, um, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the, the the example they could have looked to was Northern Ireland, and where divorce sure. was divorce rate was extremely low. You know, yeah. that, um, mm-hmm. um, I grew up in Belfast. I was eleven, and um, I think of one friend of my parents who got divorced, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we wrap up, we obviously talk a lot about the Irish language on this show, um, and one of the things is people talk about the kind of the usefulness of it. And a couple of years ago, you wrote an article that I've always remembered when you were just talking about how you wrote about, about you did mathematics in university. Yeah. And you said, well, technically it's, yeah, people talk about how useful mathematics is, but maybe people might study it because they enjoy it. Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, think, well, I, th- I think what I was getting at there was that, um, uh, is that um, uh, people t- try to strive too hard to try and come up with practical reasons why mm-hmm. studying an academic subject may be of, Used to you, yeah. Um, uh, we can talk at great length about how you know it trains your mind. I mean, mm. any academic pursuit of any uh, any sort trains your mind and hones your mind and so forth. But it's certainly, I mean, what well, the the last thing is interesting um, uh, in that uh, uh, people are c- 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 people 
and there's some there's a certain degree of this is true with Irish as well, I think. Um, but even more so of mathematics, and certainly less true of Irish now than it used to be. That people rather boast about not being good at mathematics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's, and, you know, in a way they would not boast about not knowing about history or literature mm-hmm. or geography, whatever. They say, oh my God, I mean, you know, yeah. I can't, I honestly can't add three numbers together. I'm terrible at mathematics. I'm really, yeah. well, well, good for you, you're an idiot. I, mean, <laughs> you know, I, mean, you know, I don't mean that. I don't mean that if you're not good at mathematics, please, yeah. I'm joking. But what I'm what I'm getting at is that um, uh, they wouldn't sort of say, oh, I, I mean, I don't know who Napoleon was. Who's Napoleon? Who's he? <laughs> you know, that, uh, mm. was he king of, king of Spain? I am the great. Um, you know, that, um, where's Barcelona? I don't know. Th- that doesn't happen. Um, uh, uh, and uh, I don't know quite why that is, mm. but um, I think there's, but there is still a degree of that in Irish as well, which I know that people that uh, um, uh, uh, that people who write a deal about the Irish language and its position in uh, in contemporary life always like <laughs> sigh when everyone says like it's how it's taught, you know, it's how it's taught, yeah. um, as if that's an excuse for anything. But I think there's a certain amount of people who kind of like rather enjoy annoying um, uh, the Irish language lobby by boasting about how bad they are at it yeah. and how little mm-hmm. they care about it. Um, I think that's uh, partially our fault. We're really easy to annoy. <laughs> <laughs> it's really yeah. easy to piss us off. Well, there isn't really a maths lobby. Isn't there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. But I think, I think people who, who, who do have some qualification about mathematics do really kind of grind their teeth at that notion and people kind of like, it's one of the things that people are rather proud about not knowing yeah. about. As if, I mean, partly it is that... Um, there's a notion that kind of mathematicians are all kind of you know people in and duffel coats who've got no social skills. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a degree of that about it, and uh, um, whereas it's still regarded as rather kind of romantic to um, know about the, not the you know the more obscure novels of George Eliot. It's not mm-hmm. felt that way to know about. But anyway, going back to your question, yeah, I mean, I think I think that people when people try then to, to explain why they may study Irish or they may study mathematics, whatever it is, they leave out the fact that um, it is a pleasure in itself. Sure. Yeah. Um, that I don't need to kind of. Um, I mean, it may very, very few occasions. Um, it may be useful to know how to solve linear equation, but to be honest, like I mean, you know, it's there's not much more than more than Pythagoras's theorem that you would use that you, yeah. um, in that day, bar, bar obviously basic arithmetic that you would use in daily life. But it, um, uh, people do uh, leave aside the fact that um, the mass in particular is a pleasure in itself, in it, and also it has not one of these elegant phrases. It has a kind of beauty to it mm-hmm. um, in terms of um, how uh, the various aspects of it knit together and how mm-hmm. it creates language. Yeah, um, that makes it worth studying on its own for that alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but I, but I think but I, I think it is an interesting comparison with with, with Irish. That, I mean, sure. they, they, they are they are two subjects that people if they hate them they really hate them. It is, and I think it's uh, it's 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 funny that that some of the, some of those conversations they've they're 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 both opposites. They're 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 on opposite ends of the the usefulness myth. Yeah, yeah, of education. exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I remember. I mean, I I, I never did Irish because mm-hmm. I was educated in the north until I was eleven in Protestant school. Um, 
by the time I came down, I was exempt and I wasn't taking on any more subjects <laughs> than I had to. Thank yeah. you very much. I, wasn't, I mean, ironically, I probably thought, well, all these people who've done Irish for seven years, obviously they've got seven years ahead of me. And most people <laughs> I would talk to this bloody word. But, um, you know, when I actually got there and talked mm -hmm. to people in my school, that they that they could barely kind of, you know, ask the directions to the post office. Was it in Limerick, was it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, to the post office. So I kind of sat there and kind of watched all this. But it was, I mean, it, in retrospect, it was kind of terrible. I mean, I, you know, I'd peep. People, friends of mine, you know, did medicine and law and failed Irish, failed pass Irish, went to Trinity for having failed pass Irish. Was, I mean, kind of extraordinary. I mean, they'd you know got A's and B's and everything else, um, uh, and uh, and somewhere in there something mm -hmm. had gone wrong. This is a long time ago. I don't know if this is still happening, but mm -hmm. somewhere in there something had gone wrong. Though, of course, I mean the, uh, I mean I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but the trendy incarnation of Irish yeah. that's come along in the last 10 or 15, 20 years wasn't there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, there was nothing fashionable about about learning Irish uh, at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I, um, that notion of it being kind of, you know, the rather cool thing, which it is, and to a certain extent now, was was a long way off. Yeah, it wasn't there at that, at that time in the, in the 80s in Limerick. No, it no. wasn't there. To, to, well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not the person to ask. In a sense, yeah, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't learning it, but I got no sense of that at that stage. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. this sounds like a, I, I, I kind of have a suspicion that there's a a, a, a much maligned Kerry female female author I'm not. In the, I, I've, I've avoided saying that because I've never read that particular mm. much maligned Kerry author. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, certainly any conversation that I had that I mm. that I heard about people and their um, lack of enthusiasm mm. for the language uh, always brought that. Um, yeah, they're still saying that. So that. That, that, that ancient up. We know we do like to ask our guests what their favourite Irish word is. Would you actually have one, or is it crack? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, um, I, I, no, I don't really have one to be honest. Okay, that's, no, it's not yeah. that, that's fine. Mm. But I will say there's uh, the the Irish for having sex is egbula kraken, which Aha. is wonderful. Which is absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And yes, yeah, so, and one of the one of the big anti anti CRIC arguments has been that that CRIC is in the 1977 dictionary for Irish, the O'Donnell right. dictionary, but it's not in Deneen. And Deneen, of course, is the... Deneen, who'd have thought like a grumpy Jesuit priest <laughs> maybe didn't, just didn't include the word crack. He didn't include a few other words for, you know, certain bodily functions. Right, 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 so, right, which, right. I mean, which we presume happened, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, one would assume it was ongoing. Yeah. But yeah, but that's great. Don Clark, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. So, until the next time, it's a slant for me. It's a slant for me. Ah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Thank you for Donald for being such a great guest. Motherfucker comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. If you can't wait that long for your next podcast fix, consider one of Headstuff's other shows, such as Dublin. The podcast has come back. Thank you to Kirsten Shield for doing our art. Thank you to Brian during the production. Please rate Motherfucker five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can contact the show at motherfuckerheadstuff.org. Join us next week. We come out every Friday. Salon. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thanks, Brian. <laughs>